Hi, my name is Andy Tempty, and we're here uh, with the Balancing Act podcast. And today I've got uh, former colleague Tarlin Ray with us to talk about the concept of disengagement in the workplace. So Tarlin, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Uh, tell us a little bit about your background and uh, your history as a leader. Uh, thanks for having me. Uh, so background, I've been in a lot of early stage companies. I always wanted to be employee one, be employee two, or be on that team that was building something. So an opportunity in a variety of industries, everything from Shaquille O'Neal's clothing company to an online video game company to a company backed by Richard Branson, the Virgin Group, where we were trying to be the Expedia for private jets. But in, be in between that, I have married, well, I'm a son of a lawyer son of a teacher. And so I've married sort of my love of just education and applied that to whether it's a company like Kaplan Test Prep and running divisions there or um, helping to start up new initiatives with the outside of Kaplan, like going into the boot camp space. Um, so I've had a range of experiences connecting with a small team, upwards of a team of 100 and more trying to drive together to uh, actualize on a vision. And as a former athlete and someone who's competitive, ultimately feel like we wake up every day winning, not only for the team members, um, not only for our shareholders, but also the individuals that um, we are serving our customers. That's awesome, Tarlin. You are a teach, coach, mentor, inspire uh, kind of guy, and that's really energizing. Uh, so. We're going to talk about the other side of that equation today and disengagement in the workplace. Relatively hot topic uh, right now and for the last few years. But, you know, when, like myself, when did the concept of disengagement really start to come into your consciousness as a leader? It probably wasn't until 2016. Um, and part of this, the, the, the thought of disengagement came out of a lot of pain. So I think the engagement market has really grown dramatically. There are a lot of companies out there, venture back, that are figuring out a way to measure engagement, get to a number, the Gallup, Gallup polls and other things. But I was running as the president of a bootcamp, Deaf Bootcamp, and we had six campuses around the country. I was the only person in Massachusetts. So imagine this is the early days pre-COVID, you're running everything through Zoom. I was early to Zoom, so prior to that was Google, Google Meet. Um, and you're trying to figure out how to have a pulse on the organization. We happen to be tied to Kaplan that was running their annual engagement survey. And it was fascinating to see that we'd run a survey um, in June. It would take probably a, you know four to six weeks to get the results. You get a small team of leaders together to review them. You'd sort of parse it out and share only a small bit four months or four weeks later to the team. And then three months later, you finally have a task force to address the issues that you had six months prior. Now, I had a challenge because the engagement numbers are super important because it's a metric that's sitting on the company dashboard. It's reviewed by the board. It's something you may even ladder up if you're part of a public company, say, how is how engaged the team? That's a trailing indicator. I, I cared about the number I didn't because the early signal and getting the results too late said, I, I'm not doing something as a leader. And you just have this gut check. Like I, I feel like people aren't with us and I didn't need that engagement survey to sort of hit me over the head. 
but it was one of those moments like how do we get to team members faster, especially in a distributed environment where that number, it's maybe it's a five, maybe a number was three, four, was not, you know, for someone who was loved school, as I said, and even as a kid, loved getting the sticker on the on that on that poster board because I had got a hundred on my tests, did not like having that on my on my score sheet. So that was the first time. 2016 was a real shock, shock moment for me. Well, I, that, that's a perfect segue into the next question, which, and, and this is kind of a leading, uh, leading the witness here, but the, 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 I think we're like-minded in the current state of uh, engagement, quote unquote, programs uh, at, at corporations. Are you a fan or not? Are they a compliance exercise? Or is there really a genuine uh, desire, desire to improve. And then a follow on to that is where are companies missing the boat? So uh, I would say, yes, there is a general desire to use the information to improve because information is power. Do I believe they're valuable? No. I, I struggle with um, getting the score at a period of time where remember everyone's a person um, if they've been chambering this information and chambering these thoughts until they wait for the engagement survey, you're in trouble. So you may be catching people at a moment in time. So I think there's value in much larger organizations to try in the same way you have your balance sheet, you can understand how you're performing, you have key KPIs and metrics. This is another way to get your arms around how your team is doing, but the team, team isn't numbers. The team isn't results through your product it's a lot more qualitative, a lot more emotion to it. So that's why I struggle with the score. I understand why people are trying to get their arms around it, but there's so much more nuance to that. I know there's a story in every PL, but at the end of the day, you can sort of parse through and understand the history. That number, there's so much embedded in it that I struggle with, with it just as a, as a proxy for engagement. Yeah, you know, I've... I, I, I've done a lot of thinking about, you know, employees as coin operated, here's some money, this is the work that, uh, that I want in return, versus a genuine kind of stewardship uh, relationship where we're all in this together, and companies uh, view employees as their, truly as their most valuable asset. Do you think that we've made a significant amount of headway there in the last uh, in the last ten years? Are we more enlightened? Um, I think COVID is forcing more enlightenment. Prior to that, uh, I think the engagement surveys will it all, and so you could sort of have a distance from uh, the team members. I, I ascribe to the same thing. I, I was point guard. I, I want everyone on the team. I, my job is to get someone the ball in that spot because they like it there. They like getting it, setting a pick and bouncing back out to take their jumper because they don't like going the hole. It's the same way. I, I, the way I think about teams is no one wakes up every day saying, I can't wait to get managed by Tarlin. Uh, like who wants to get managed? The, so I struggle just with the word manager. It's my responsibility at the end of the day I need a better analogy. I'm the throat to choke if something's not going wrong. And I always tell the team, you go out and do you, something goes wrong, I got your back. But they don't want to get managed. So how do you work together to create an understanding of how they do their job, their responsibility, how it connects to the ultimate goal? So then they have the agency to run. 
And I think COVID, because people are home, they have more time, they're not commuting the same way. I know we're in the great, great um, resignation, which we talked about at the top before the show started. Um, I think it's forcing a different understanding about the way to connect um, with team members. Yeah. So my opinion, uh, engagement programs, quote unquote programs, spend way too much time on the movable middle and uh, because, and you pointed it out in your opening remarks that you know engagement surveys are by definition backward looking. You're looking at something that happened in the past, aggregating that data, and then uh, projecting that uh, out out into the future. And it also takes an inordinate amount of time to get that feedback and 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 take take action on it. Um, so I like to really think about the actively disengaged. That's where I think the most damage uh, to your company uh, can, uh, can, can occur. How, how have you seen active uh, disengagement uh, play out? And what advice do you have for managers uh, to help avoid active disengagement in the first place? So whether or not our EQ is off the charts, we all know, we just do, who the actively disengaged team members are. And so it's almost like the thing in your checklist that you keep, it keeps showing up in your to-do list and you just never do because it's really painful to do. It's going to take time. So the best way to deal with the actively disengaged is to actually have a direct conversation with them. It doesn't mean you're putting someone on a PIP. This is not, you, you're going to let your, your, your team's called talent, HR, say, I need to have a conversation because I know this person is not connected. I can see it in their work. I can see it in the delays. And you have to come from your perspective and say, I feel like we're having you're having challenges. You're struggling with the vision. And I'm just going to give this to you from my perspective. And I just love to open the door to let me know what's going on. Without that, and having direct conversations in a safe place where the person can trust, and you have to build up that, that trust, then that actively disengaged person is derailing everything that you're trying to do. There may be people who are really in, but they got that side chat and teams and you're in a meeting and you're presenting and you see distracted people. And you know, there are people that actually engage chatting about this and saying, this is terrible. And the world's coming, like there's no way we're gonna deliver. So if you're not willing, and once again, not waiting for the annual survey, not waiting for your review cycle, you know, when someone's not in, you have to approach them. It's the only way to build bridges or potentially have real career conversation about where's the best spot for them to be successful, whether in your organization or somewhere else. Yeah, it, 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 this, is, this is an awesome conversation because it's all, it's, it, it all boils down to courage as, as, a, as a leader. You know, we, we talk about uh, being create, courageous uh, in, in the workplace and what does that really mean? Well, my, my opinion, and you just totally uh, hit the nail on the head, is that's where courage shows up uh, most often, or the lack thereof. Uh, we take a passive-aggressive approach. We let the actively disengaged do whatever we want. We don't want to have that uh, tough conversation, but that's our job as leaders and managers is to screw up the courage to have those conversations and 
make them e make it easier on ourselves by having them more often so that so that development conversations just become a natural part of what we're, of what we're doing so can i guess one comment and flip yeah, yeah, side yeah. of this i just gave a presentation to uh the diaspora i work at the college board and it's a affinity group for black members and anyone else that wants to join and the the the, the presentation is on being your best advocate at work so what we were talking about is one side of the coin but I had a slide that says a manager is a person. And if the manager had a thought bubble, my guess is 75 to 85% of the day, those thoughts are about me, 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 me. So I said that the person who's going to, who's thinking the best advocate for you is you. It is your responsibility as an individual to also have the courage to tell someone what you want to do, what you're interested in, what you don't like to do. So that's part of the disengagement. Um, equation, and you have to create safe spaces for your team members to give feedback. You want to call it feed forward so it doesn't feel like you're looking backwards, whatever it is, but to be able to create that, that conversation. Courage, courage goes on both sides. Yeah, two-way two, two street. Way too many uh, managers, you said it, are thinking about me, 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 and, and employees are showing up new, new well, what are you going to do for me? There's, <laughs> there's just way too much me in, in this, in our, in our whole society today, my, my opinion. Uh, at, before we, uh, before we started the show, we also uh, talked about uh, kind of back to engagement programs and, you know, programs versus genuine efforts. Uh, let's talk about discretionary effort. I think that's also something that needs to be uh, talked to is because uh, an engagement program uh, is touted or sold as, well, you're going to be able to tap into the discretionary effort of your people. Uh, does discretionary effort really exist? No. So maybe, listen, someone's either in and is going to give to the team. I, I just had a conversation with a team member um, and they wanted to put in time for to go to the dentist and I rejected it. And I said, so when are you supposed to go to the dentist? Saturdays, Sundays when they're never open? So you going to the dentist, you're a manager, you've been crushing it. I know that you're gonna get your work done. So to think that you can ring out, it's almost like you have this cup full and every day you're like, I think they filled their cup as a team member and they gave it all. I, I just don't know how you hold that because then you as a manager, are you doing the same? If you had a terrible start to the day and your 14 year old uh, had something bad going on and you have a family issue and you're trying to run around, did you look at your, did you give every single ounce that you had that day? Or are you looking at the long game in totality in the, in the interests of the organization, you've given everything because you're, you're invested you're thinking about on weekends and times where no one knows you are and you're showing up when you need to with great products, great connectivity and working cross teams. For me, trying to ring out, that means that you believe that you can measure a person like they are, they are and we talked about a robot. Like I realize, and at times I know Amazon is, gets to this with their, with their individuals in the warehouse. Outside of that, the if you're in the thought leadership, if you're in the um, you're in a non, um, you're not in a role where you're required to almost have repetitive tasks. I think that's impossible to do. So you have to create space for someone 
to be their best self and know there are some days they're going to give, give you an L. It just happens. But there are days where it may not be 200%, but that, that 2X makes up for that L and others because they're giving more. Yeah. The long game stewardship, we're all in this together. Uh, I, I just love how this conversation is, uh, is, is, is starting to really take shape. So let, let's just finish on one, one last question. And, uh, you know, the, the, the podcast is called the Balancing Act Podcast. So we, we would be remiss to not talk about a balancing act. Um, a lot of leaders, a lot of managers, they just, they, they come from an individual contributor. Uh, you know, they're accidental managers. Uh, they, they're used to getting things done. Uh, is getting things done versus growing engagement, is that, uh, is that at odds at all? Or do those two things play together? I, I think they're not at all odds at all. I think all boats rise. I think at times when you're an individual contributor and you're accidental manager, you believe then ticking things off, potentially off your list, is the way to show that you're busy, that you're contributing, and you can walk away every day saying, I, I did what I needed to do for the organization. It, it changes once you are a manager because that was your own task list and your way of, of driving the bus. As a manager, you then need to set, and I think it's collective with the team, the vision, the KPIs, the goals you're after, and then give agency to the individuals to then drive and meet those needs. In doing so, you're still going to get things done. It might not be the way you get things done. We all, people learn in different ways. Some people listen, do podcasts. That's the way they learn. Some people out there, I'm a tactile. I write everything down. Once I do, I can remember the page something was on because that's just the way my mind works. So give people space. They will get things done. You just have to believe they will. But you've also set um, the bar. You've said, here's how we're going to measure ourselves. And you'll be able to see if someone's not performing that's the way you have a conversation. We set a goal. We all agree to it. What's going on? How can I help you? Are you having issues? So I think individual contributors, and it's almost like that super talented athlete that now becomes a coach. They're like, I can't ever be a coach because they're not going to do it my way. You got to let people then be themselves. And that, that actual creativity and curiosity that's not you actually may have all boats rise even more because they're allowed to get things done while also feeling like they, they own, own who they are and have agency. Yeah. Purpose, trust, accountability, those things all come together here. So thank you so much, Tarlin Ray, for your time today. Uh, really, really appreciate, uh, really appreciate talking to you. Uh, so my name is Andy Tempty and this is the Balancing Act podcast. Thank you. Mm -hmm.